Here we are. We thought we'd give you a little bit of that song twice. Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Two very important shows, maybe three, I think are probably the most important shows that we will ever do uh, when we consider the content. Uh, you decide, but we want to begin with a prayer. And tonight, I'm not even sure he's ready but our prayer will be given by our own director, Seth Motor. Look at this. Lord, we thank you for this night. Uh, Lord, I pray that you just guide Sean and guide this ministry. Lord, I thank you for all the volunteers, everybody that puts forth the effort. Lord, I pray that you just uh, bless everybody's life. And um, Lord, help us to continue on and to reach people and change their lives with your word and with your message. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my brother Seth. Listen, uh, it's the end of the year, and because last week I got ill right before the show, and uh, so I had this written out for the show that's supposed to be going on now. Long story short, we usually, I usually spend the time uh, thanking our volunteers in the last show of the year. And I'm going to do this just by memory. First of all, I want to thank our partners and those of you who support us in prayer, those of you who have supported us financially, and those of you who share the show with others. Um, so we're very grateful for uh, all you do in that area. Uh, and then to run through the list in no order whatsoever, just off the top of my head, we're going to go with the volunteers who come week in and week out and help the ministry. Uh, we have Wendy Jensen. She does our shreds. She does so much technical stuff. Uh, I'm thinking of her first because she's at the phones tonight. She answers the phones for us. Uh, so grateful for her time and dedication. We have Linda Cassidy, who also does phones, helps Kathy Maggie in the children's ministry on Sundays and helps out in so many other ways. We have Kathy Maggie, who cleans, this, cleans our facilities, does the children, helps in the cage on the shows, and does innumerable tasks that no one sees uh, out of the goodness of her heart, and everybody is doing the same uh, because they love the Lord and they're trying to uh, support the ministry in that way. Uh, grateful for Merle, our director who's been around for so long and uh, just every day, week, every week, week in, week out, shows up, does uh, things to support the ministry in many innumerable ways. Grateful for Merle. We have Seth Motor who uh, uh, directs. Technically, he has kept the ministry going, changing, uh, upgrading, doing things to help us uh, solve problems. Very uh, grateful for Seth. And, uh, and then we, of course, have Michael and his wife, Jan. Is it Jan? It's Jan. In England. And he, all the way over there on his own accord, has been helping to put things together for us behind the scenes, edit uh, through shows. And then we have... Um, we have Derek and Danita, of course, and Derek and Danita do everything in the ministry I don't, which is about 90% of the stuff. I show up and I do this, but they keep the thing going with our books, our taxes, our bills, the finances, keeping me straight on where my receipts are, and uh, of course, innumerable other things in helping people in the community outside of our ministry. Great examples of Christians and their entire family. We have Cassidy, who does our spots, and does our emails and keeps things running that way. We have Delaney, who has uh, stepped in and learned to uh, direct and run the TriCaster and other technical things and has worked uh, this year having graduated, and we're glad to have her here. We have Mallory, who helps with our, uh, helps with, he, she creates the music for us, and uh, these three daughters are I'm so grateful for them. We have my wife, who behind the scenes uh, in California and sometimes up here is uh, keep making sure that I'm safe and that I get here and has supported the ministry for 10 years uh, and then supported me for 30 plus and selflessly gives her uh, time to see the ministry go through. Have I forgot? Oh, we have Jed who does Jed's coffee uh, out to the homeless and the underprivileged and takes the clothes to the homeless. And then there's all sorts of other people. And I'm sorry to mention names like that, but those are the 
the key people who keep us going as volunteers, who help, who show up here, who are doing different things, and just so grateful for everybody who's been involved in the ministry in one way or another. Did I forget anybody? Mary or Derek, did I forget anybody? Marnita. We have Marnita, and uh, she shows up and steps in and does different things for our meetings. She helps with the food. She helps with singing with the kids and keeps everybody laughing. Marnita is a great help. So everybody, from partners on to volunteers, all of you, we love you. We're grateful for you, no matter who you are. Even if you uh, are only just watching from the comfort of your home and enjoying what we're trying to produce for you, we are grateful for you, and we praise God. Uh, just a reiteration, beginning next month, January 2016, half hour before Heart of the Matter on Tuesday nights, we're going to launch a new program called Breaking Bread with Warren Puckett. That's Tuesday night, 7.30 Mountain Time, right here before Heart of the Matter. Additionally, in the month of January, on Bishop Earl's program at www.xmormonfiles.com, he interviewed me. It was a three-hour session, and those are going to be airing on his uh, program. Grateful for those talks that we had. And, uh, and being able to talk about having a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, that's what it's all about, is a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and people uh, having an abiding, thriving relationship with Him and not with religion, not with institutions, etc., etc. I'm going to take my time tonight as we go through and lay out what I believe is perhaps the single most important perspective that Christians today I believe, ought to have relative to the Bible, relative to the faith, relative to the Christian walk. I'm just going to say it, much to the chagrin of people in the business of religion today, the material church is a lie. And, and what I mean by that is the, the material church, the brick-and-mortar church, uh, is people playing religion. It's a farce. It is, and the bigger the farce gets, the more important they think it is, and, and yet it is a farce in light of what Scripture plainly teaches. Um, in fact, today I was working at a place, and a church group came in, and uh, they sat there and they had a meeting, not knowing I was listening to them, and it was just comical. It was comical of the topics that they spent and thinking that these things were so vitally important to the salvation and, 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 and heart of their people. I never heard them talk about teaching or learning the Word together. I, all I heard about were programs and activities and the next thing that we can do and what we can do here. It's really fun if we, in the spring, if we want to go uh, riding our uh, boats in this lake. And if we, I mean, it was just amazing, an organized cultural event but very, very little about God. So I'm not saying God hasn't used religion, and I, but I am saying, uh, and I'm not saying it hasn't done good in the lives of this, of this world through the Holy Spirit, but I am convinced that as a whole, whole it probably does more bad than good, uh, even up to this day. The war is not between various institutions of power. It's not the Protestants against the Catholics. It's not the Baptists against the Pentecostals. It's not the people's support of one church and their anger at another church. Like our nation's two political parties, all religious institutions operate off the same faulty pretext. That they have gathered up Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they've packaged it up, and they have then sold it back out to the people who come to their specific institution. And the war has always been between the individual relationship people have with God and uh, allegiance to men and mortar and their uh, institution. So uh, this is not something I've learned from other radicals. It's a clear concept taken directly from the Word of God. And that's what I want to try to prove over the next few weeks. So here's the deal. If I'm able to prove this, please give it a chance. Listen to the arguments. I'm going to use the Bible to prove my point. If I'm able to prove it, then it's kind of incumbent upon you, as led by the Spirit, to take the message and share it with others so that we can start to deconstruct this material monster that runs religion today and turn it more to the hearts of the people. We are producing a 40-page pamphlet that will be available to people uh, that will 
give you all the supports that we're going to give to you in these next two weeks, and we hope it will light a fire under people to get them to refuse to play church anymore. Refuse to play church. If you're going to spend your time on a Sunday to go to church, go and demand that you don't play church and that you are at least fed somehow by the Spirit and by the Word of God. So here it goes. Full page graphic uh, to introduce the topic. The end of material religion. That's what this next two part or three part series is. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 46, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. Okay? Do we have evidence of this order, order in the Bible? I think we do. For example, what did God create first in the creation of man? The spiritual or the natural? Uh, the LDS folks say that God created Adam's spirit first, or took it and informed it first, but this contradicts Paul's uh, message. Going all the way back to Genesis 2-7, we're actually given the order that God created the first man. Did you know that? It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Did you catch the order? First, the Lord formed God, uh, man out of the dust. That's the material first. Then second, he breathed his nostrils into the man. And third, the man became a living soul, the spiritual being last. This is an order that clearly supports Paul's premise. The spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. Are there other examples of this order in Scripture? There are. Giant macro examples of this order that are in Scripture. And that's what I want to share with you tonight is this macro order in Scripture. And I'm going to use the whiteboard. And uh, in between the segments, Delaney, my assistant tonight, is going to erase. You don't have to take this down. The pamphlet will be here soon, and we'll get it out to you. But we're going to go through and use the Bible to show how we go from the material all the way through to the natural to prove that material religion is dead. Okay? So let's try to do this. Do you need this out of the way, Derek? Okay. So first, we're going to have scriptural supports come up as I present these things on the board. Okay? First of all, we have, this is Sinai. Oops. And we have... God uh, giving the law from Sinai to Moses, right? Moses in a literal material mountain. We have a material man who came down and brought this law written in stone. And he brought it to a material people who came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a literal material group, right? The laws and commandments were written in stone. Then this people built a material temple. It really probably looked more just like this. And it started off as a tabernacle. It was a material temple, and it was made specifically according to God's specifications of what materials are to be used, and, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Then there was a priesthood. Of, of guys, and they operated this temple, and it was a material priesthood. And they did things inside of that, including taking animals and slaughtering them materially, literally taking physical animals and killing them. Okay? So we have that, uh, the animals. We have an economy that the children of Israel live by that was based on if you obey you will be blessed materially. If you disobey, you will be cursed materially. All of it was based off the here and now flesh and blood uh, uh, life. We have the nation materially culled out of all other nations, and even their cities were prescribed by God. 
The, the way the cities were laid out, materially, God said, okay, this border shall be this big, and this border shall be that big, and, and this, this group shall live here, and this group shall live there, and on and on and on. Materially, God told them exactly how to lay out their land, even. It was that specific. They were fed literal manna that came from heaven, it tasted like seeds. And it, in the morning, it was there on the ground. They were given literal rock, water from a rock. They were thirsty, and, and Moses was told by God, go and smite the rock, and water will gush forth. And they literally had this water that they drank. They had a literal day of rest, one day of the week, from, Saturday, from Friday night to Saturday night, this Sabbath day. It was an actual, literal day with literal commandments on what to do and how to do it, right? They had literal prophets who would go and speak literal words and write on literal parchment, and it would speak to the literal nation about the things God wanted them to know in their economy. And 10% of everything that they had in terms of fruits and grains and growth was given literally at that time. What to eat and what to drink literally what, I'm sorry I'm using that word, but that's what it was. Materially, what they could eat and what they could not eat was prescribed by God. And what to wear was prescribed, too. They were told exactly in terms of how to operate in the priesthood in the temple, wear linen, don't wear this, do that, wear that, don't wear this. How to worship was prescribed, even their sanitary laws. What, how, how to, where to use the restroom and how often to wash their literal hands, how to wash their literal plates. All of this supporting uh, Paul saying, first comes the material. First comes the material, then the spiritual. Did you know that it even says in Scripture that if you were physically deformed, you weren't allowed in the temple? That if you had a flat nose or a crooked back, that, that you could not enter into the temple of God? And so that, that physical application happened there. Okay, Delaney, erase. While she's erasing, I'm going to talk. All of these things God created materially, out of a nation, physically, materially, and he did one last thing. He said, I am going to actually send a Messiah. I'm going to literally send you, myself really, God in the flesh. And it was prophesied in Scripture, this Messiah was going to come to those people that, in that literal And so guess what? The Messiah came in a very literal, actual, historical way. So let's, let's, let's talk about him for a second. All right? We have the actual Messiah born, in, and he's fulfilling the promised Messiah, the Word made flesh, okay? So it's a continuation of the material economy of the Old Testament, this Messiah when he came, and his name was Yeshua, what uh, is also called Joshua, and what we call Jesus, okay? How did he come? Was he just a spirit being? No. He was literally born materially of a woman made under the law. Now, what's interesting about that is in Christ Jesus, we have the fulfillment of, I don't know how to spell that, of the physical, but we also have, have you ever heard Christians say he was 100% man and 100% God? who is immaterial. So we have in Jesus, I'm going to just be kind of sacrilegious here, we could almost like cut him in half and say that he was 100% man in fulfilling the material, but he was also 100% God fulfilling the spiritual that he was going to bring in and institute to this world. So he was born of a woman. Who did he come to first? He came to the literal house of Israel first, specifically 
materially, literally. He material materially fulfilled the law. Remember those two stones? He fulfilled the law and the material prophets. He fulfilled them. Not one jot or tittle would go away, except through him he came to fulfill all. Have you ever thought of that line? He fulfilled all of that, the law and the prophets. We think of the material still needing to go on. Jesus came and fulfilled the law written in stone and the prophets, material prophets given to the material house of Israel. He fulfilled it. Let that sink into your mind before, before you go and readily embrace another form of material religion. Just remember, he fulfilled that element of it. Uh, he was what we call the bread of life. They had, they had the manna that came down from heaven. He said, I'm the bread of life. So he's, you can see him kind of fulfilling this all in him. He was the living water. Remember? The, Moses, he struck the, uh, the stone and the water gushed forth. They struck him and living water came out too. Here's the fulfillment of everything in this material Messiah. Fulfilling all that material economy. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Regarding the Sabbath day, he said, come unto me and I will give you rest. So there's no more Sabbath day. Come unto me and I will give you rest. There's no more of this what you eat. There's no more of this what you, how you dress. He explained the dietary laws. He had his disciples eating without washing their hands. He said what goes into the body isn't what hurts. It's what comes out of the mouth that does. He spiritualizes everything that has to do with the material church and laws. And uh, our literal and final sacrifice for sin and death. No more animals, physical animals done away. It's all completed in him and his sacrifice. He, he became our final, our new and final high priest. So that material high priest that used to be in the old covenant, it's now him. Just him according to Hebrews. Read it and you'll see. Absolutely just him. He said the temple, the material temple that was part of that material economy, economy would be destroyed. He said, not one stone of that material thing will lay upon one another, and it didn't. It was wiped out. Very, very symbolic. As the material Messiah, he was put to death. Put to death. There's a purpose in that. His body was put to death, right? Put to death. But he lived on. He rose from the grave, and yet he could disappear and appear whenever he wanted because he's transitioning that old economy into the new of the spirit. The temple veil was rent from top to bottom. He died physically. He was buried physically. He physically re resurrected from the grave. He promised to return to his people, to Jerusalem, and save his church who believed on him and destroy physically, destroy physically the remainder of that former economy, to wipe it out completely. He ascended physically into the heavens, into the clouds, disappeared completely from sight. He was the last to be sent by God, according to scripture. And as our high priest, he had to come out of the Holy of Holies to show that he was approved of God. Really quickly, what does that mean? When the high priest of the old covenant would enter into that material temple, he would go in there and offer up the animal blood, and the people of the nation would stand outside and they would wait for him to do what? Stay in there for the whole year? Stay in there forever? No, they would wait for him to come out of that place, that holy of holies, and prove that the offering of the blood was acceptable by God. Okay? When Jesus ascended into the heavens, he ascended into the Holy of Holies, offering his own blood to God. And the rest of the nation was waiting for what? For him to come out of there to signify that his offering was valid. So his return back with judgment upon that material nation was vitally important to wrap up his relationship between the material and the spiritual. I know you're, uh, there's a lot going on here, but stay with me. All right, Delaney, erase. You're going to have to hurry this one up because I don't have that much to cover. Next, while Jesus, material Messiah, 
was here on earth, he chose 12 material witnesses and their job was to usher in the spiritual age, warning all those who were there that that age was going to end and that material religion was going to be destroyed. That was their point. It's like Christ came and said, I am all God, I am all man, I'm bridging the gap between the material and the spiritual, and I'm warning you, I'm going to come back with judgment on this place. And he left 12 apostles there to go around and share this message for about a generation. Okay? So, we have the 12 apostles. And I won't draw them all, but these are them. Okay? 12. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, fell on them on the day of Pentecost. This was fully engaging now the spiritual church that was going to move out from that point forward. Were there still vestiges of the material church around? Of course there were. The temple was still standing. The Jews were still all around that area. But the Holy Spirit falling initiated this new Oikonomia, this new economy for the church, okay? Eleven plus Paul and Matthias were the last material witnesses of him. They were the last, listen, material witnesses of him. Why was that? Well, the Holy Spirit fell. There's no need for material witnesses to be there anymore because the witness now is on the heart of the individual, so we don't have need for prophets and apostles still roaming about doing all the things that they were doing that said he's coming, he's coming. All we have is the Holy Spirit now that witnesses to our heart fulfilling what the prophets and the apostles once did. These apostles were commanded to go and preach the gospel to a vicinity or an area containing his people. Okay? If you look at uh, 1 Corinthians 4.9, I think that God has sent us forth the apostles last. So they were sent out last to who? The, the remainder of that material nation to warn them that, that now is the time to repent and accept the Messiah. And uh, in time, these witnesses also wrote according to the Holy Spirit. What they wrote was to the believers of that day and age. They wrote epistles and letters. There were all kinds of them, and they wrote them to the people of that material age. In almost every one of those letters, these apostles, material apostles, are warning about the material return of the Messiah. They're saying, He is coming. Get ready. If you're a believer, cling to your faith. If you're not a believer, repent and turn before it's too late. They gave instructions on how to survive what Peter calls the end of all things. Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand, right? Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. What was he talking about? That's 1 Peter 4, 7. When Peter says the end of all things, he's talking about the entire material religion. The end of all of that is going to go away. And it's coming upon us, he said, get ready. Got it? They gave instruction how to get away from that destruction that Jesus said was going to come. When the apostles referred to Scripture, when the apostles said, thus saith Scripture, or this is what it says, or read the Scripture, or buy the Scripture, they were always talking about the Old Testament Scripture, except for one time they referred to Paul. So they're always referring to the material Scripture of the Old Testament. There was no New Testament. There was no material New Testament there to guide. There were letters that were sent out to different locations. There were, there were some copies, but not universally gathered. For the first 330 years, there was no material manual collectively gathered for everybody to go to. The Ephesians had the letters for, to, the, to Ephesus. The Corinthians had the letters to Cor Corinth. And they had some copies amongst themselves, but no one had all of the Scripture. And the only way to understand all of the Scripture is to have all of the Scripture. You can only really understand what 1 Corinthians means if you have Hebrews and Romans and, and the Gospels to go along with it. So partial things, while they're great and they're gifts and they help us, they were not, is what, they were not what led the church. 
What led the church was the Holy Spirit in believers moving and moving that spiritual church forward. All compositions of the New Testament, contrary to the scant evidence that says otherwise, occurred before 70 AD. They were all written in there. The Holy Spirit did the converting to guide believers far and wide. The gospel was preached. It was not read. Jesus said, go out and preach. He didn't say, go out and write. The gospel was preached. The Holy Spirit fell. It moved the spiritual church. And that was the beginning of where we are today, where we should be today. Instead of still gramming on to material church, we should still just be thriving in the spirit and moving forward. The apostles gave their lives for their witness of his material life, his material death, his material burial, resurrection, ascension, and his promise of an imminent return. All the apostles gave witness of all of those things. All right, Delaney. Last one, and then we're going to go to the phones or emails or whatever's left. We've talked about the former oikonemia, and we've talked about how that was all materially based. It started that way. It began to ebb and flow with Christ Jesus being 100% God, 100% man. The 12 apostles ushered in the spiritual side of the religion, but there was an ebb and flow of the former with the latter. And then we have the, the utter end of the material, complete utter end. And so we'll just symbolize that by a cloud and with lightning bolts coming down, and this being Jerusalem. The city of peace, the ultimate material Mecca of religion uh, in the time of the, the Jews. Remember, Peter said the end of all things is coming. That was the end of the former economy, the former covenant, the former administration. Scripture calls it the end of the world the end of their world, the nation of Israel. What happened in 70 AD when this end of this material thing happened? What happened here? What happened, in short, was the temple, the material temple we talked about, was utterly leveled. Matthew 24, Jesus is asked by his apostles, Tell us when all this stuff is going to happen. And he uses Matthew 24 and 25 to describe exactly what to look for to them. And it's all in language that would be applicable to them as Jews in that day and age. Pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath, because if it does, what does that have to do with anything today? It has nothing. All the language is couched on this destruction of him returning, like the high priest out of the Holy of Holies, to his people to wipe out material religion completely. This was the beginning of a new heaven and a new earth. This is Hebrew language describing what it means to have the new economy in the hearts of people, to start to abide in a new earth where Christ reigns over all things. This was the beginning of a new Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem. Well, where was the old Jerusalem? What was the old Jerusalem? It was a literal place. It was materially built. The new Jerusalem very clearly says in Revelation 12:2, and the name of the city of my God, which is a new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of the heaven of my God, meaning it's heavenly and spiritual. The new Jerusalem is a spiritual place. It is not a physical regeneration of a former old place. It's not a Jerusalem that's reconstituted. It is a new Jerusalem with new inhabitants of that city of peace, you see, because this place was about to be leveled. What was leveled there, the church was taken by Christ and saved by Christ at his coming. Literal physical judgment fell on the rest of those people who lived in a material economy. Their priesthood was done, over with. Why? Because the genealogies in the temple were utterly destroyed. The nation of Israel materially done, wiped out, gone. We don't even know who is a Jew today because we don't have the genealogies. People who are claiming to be Jews in Israel today, we don't know if they're Jews or not. They don't know if they're Jews or not. 
They could be Arabs. They could be anything as far as we know. They claim it, but they can't prove it. And that was the reason why genealogies were so vitally important to them is because by and through them, it could be proven that they were of the house of Israel or that they had the right to the priesthood. Now that was gone. And so all of the material elements have been destroyed. And Jesus, he said to them in Matthew 23 to the Pharisees, sadly, how will you escape the judgment of Gehenna? How will you escape the judgment that is going to land upon you? And in Gehenna, which is a place where they threw the trash, how are you going to escape getting thrown in there? Hundreds of thousands of Jews were thrown into Gehenna, literally in that literal city at that time. He asked them, how are you going to escape that? Sadly, in the King James, that passage, how will you escape the judgment of Gehenna, is translated in English, how will you escape the damnation of hell? And again, people read it today and they think it applies to themselves and all this other stuff. It's a literal thing, literally done. Uh, so check that out. We're going to cut it off at that point. Delaney, will you erase that? And next week, we're going to give you the best part of this presentation, which uses the Bible and proves, sorry, Derek, proves using the Bible that the material is not just hypothetically done or that we're just guessing that it's done, but we're going to use passages from the Bible and the board to show you how it is completely done and gone. And that if you are involved in a material religion and an approach to God materially, you have missed the biblical mark and you've embraced playing church and going and doing your thing at church, which is exactly what God does not want according to the Old Testament. He wants people's hearts. He does not want your attendance. He doesn't want your tithes. He doesn't want your rivers of oil or your many sacrifices. He wants your heart. Next week, we will conclude this uh, board series and show you how material religion is dead. With that, let's open up the phone lines. 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. And while the operators are clearing whatever calls there are, let's take a look at this. Jesus was born, and his birth was celebrated. And he grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. And then his time had come. Revival, miracles, Praise for the masses. But soon those same masses turned and walked no more with him. And Jesus, in truth, suffered alone. He was mocked, denied, forsaken. He was killed on a cross like a criminal outside the city gates where the masses thrived. As sold out followers of him, how could we in our lives expect anything different? I love that, that spot uh, Cassidy made for a number of reasons, and the biggest one is if you're a seeker of truth um, and you pursue it hotly, you go hard for God, uh, you'll pay for it. And you'll pay for it uh, in your uh, Christian walk from other people who, meanwhile, thinking that they kill you, they do God's bidding. And uh, I talk to them more and more often, people who have experienced horrible things at the hands of other believers who think that they are doing what God wants them to do. I talked to a man today, in fact, he told me he was actually arrested in a Christian church, 
had the pastor had the police come in and arrest him because he was teaching preterism. <laughs> it's so funny to me. But in any case, uh, so expect the same treatment as a pursuer of truth. Uh, don't expect the world to side with you and expect to be treated badly uh, because it happened to our king. We are going to go, before we go to Mark, uh, it's, we have a question that just uh, fits in line with what we said. What does it mean in Revelation when it talks about the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven that is 14 miles long, wide, and tall? And the 14 miles, um, I don't know uh, exactly what that means, except the book of Revelation is extremely symbolic. In fact, it says in the first chapter that the, uh, there, God is going to use symbols to describe what that book is supposed to say. And so the 14 miles, long, wide, and tall, it could be literal, it may not, but all I know is that the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven uh, shows that the Jerusalem was not raised up from the ground by bricks, but it came down out of heaven and is spiritual, and that's the best I can answer to that. Let's go to Mark in Ireland. Mark! Good morning, young sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I hear you've been talking to Danny Boy. Of course I've been talking to Danny Boy, and he's desperately concerned about the welfare of his dark chocolate. Mm -hmm. of, of his what? Dark chocolate. Oh. Well, you're going to pretend <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about. Hey, oh, yes, yes, I do. And he should uh -huh. be. He should be, because I'm burping it right now. <laughs> um, I, I, I kind of I got to wondering, was your, um, was your illness last week, was it um, chocolate-related, by any chance? Uh, in a way. <laughs> Uh -huh. Okay, that makes a bit more sense. Um, it's very bizarre that you're talking about what you're talking about tonight, um, because <clears throat> last week I got to looking at the um, the name, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I don't know if you know this, but the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is actually the corporation of the presidents of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay? Yes. And if you look at the word corporation, it's an, it's it's a contraction of two words, corp dead, and oration. Ooh. So is this a dead church talking? Ooh. Corp and oration. Right. Corp, as in corpse, dead, and then oration to speak. I did get that. It, it's, that's very insightful. I, I believe that about corp orations. Uh-huh. Very um, good. And when you, when you dig away at it, it's actually built like a business. Um, <laughs> And it raises the question then, well, why would you not want to yield unto Caesar what is Caesar's? Why would you deliberately set up something like that and then <clears throat> say that in the Articles of Faith that, you know, we believe in being subject to kings and rulers, etc., 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 and then engage pretty much every legal process available to not yield unto Caesar what is Caesar's? Yeah. Very interesting. Huh. I'm not going to take up any more of your time tonight, except to ask you just one question. Yes, sir. <clears throat> is there any, um, any goodwill cheer that you would bid me at this time of year? Well, I would bid you, okay. I would bid you goodwill and cheer all th through the year, Mark. No, I mean, we're coming to the end of a year. I, I, I can't believe I have to uh, kind of prompt you on this, but we're coming into a new year, so is there anything you would say to me? Don't play leapfrog <laughs> with a unicorn. Uh, <laughs> being that you're in Ireland. Because Ireland does have unicorns, year, right? Other people would say, Happy New Year, Mark. <laughs> That's other people, my friend. But wait, I do have a question for you. I'll go on. Really quickly. Uh, I'm curious as to your occupation. Danny and I have been debating on that. What, what is the occupation, Mark? Um, I'm a proctologist, Mr. McCraney, because I really, really get on people's nerves like you wouldn't believe. Mark, I love you, brother. That dark chocolate wait, will make wait, it wait, to Danny. Just, 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 give me, just give me 10 more seconds, because okay. I remember the last time I was on the phone to you, I bid you a very happy Thanksgiving in an accent that you understood. And I know that you believe in the doctrine of quid pro quo. <laughs> and I know all the, all the people there would love to hear you say, Happy New Year, Mark. I hope it's very prosperous, and I hope it brings you happiness, wealth, and good things. In an Irish accent, go. Happy New Year, Mark. And I hope it brings many wonderful blessings upon your head, 
your, your, your Irish Irish is great throughout the whole year. A little bit more, a little bit more. And holy. All right. Now, all you need to do now is promise me that you're going to share that chocolate and I'm gone. I promise. All right, my friend. I will talk to you in the new year. Happy New Year to you and to everybody watching. And Danny Boy, talk to you soon, young man. Thank you, me too, Galua. We love you, brother. That little last part was uh, Gaelic. I guess I've learned from Danny as a dead language, but Mark is fluent in it, speaking of corp orations. Uh, anyway, from Brother Tim, last night my wife invited some LDS missionaries over for dinner. After dinner, they played a church video about Christmas that quoted Isaiah 9-6. Those of you who are familiar with Isaiah 9-6, it's what Handel used uh, to create the text for the Messiah. And his name should be, shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. And guess what? The video cut out the Everlasting Father. It didn't use that, which is in the text of Isaiah 9-6. And his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting. They cut out that in the video. This, uh, Tim says, uh, the leaders of this church drive me crazy the way they obfuscate and hide the truth. Sorry to rant, I just get upset with men and LDS leaders when they bastardize the gospel to deceive for their own purpose, pride, greed, and wickedness. And I have to admit, I mean, that's, that is, it's unconscionable. Because that is the holy word describing the Lord, and it does say he is the everlasting father, and they cut that out to avoid probably confusion. Jim says, I really enjoy the show and videos. I have a question. I hope you can help me. During a discussion amongst friends, someone referred to Mary as the mother of God. I challenge this statement because in my view, if God is eternal, how can he have a parent? We went round and round for quite some time, and I don't think anyone's opinion changed. What is your opinion on this? I haven't given this any thought until I've just read it. All I can say is that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, and Jesus did have a mortal mother, and so God with us had a mother, that Mary. But it doesn't mean that God in the sense and the spirit had a mother. It just means that the mortal baby, the child, the Christ child had a mother, mortal mother, and she was the mother of God with us. So I think that was pretty uh, simple for me to understand. If it wasn't for you, Jim, that's, that's the best I've got. Uh, I have an offline question here. Hey, Sean, would the Mormon people allow an evangelical Christian to stand at their pulpit and preach repentance, judgment, and Christ the way most Christians see those topics as a guest speaker? If not then isn't it obvious that they do not hold to the biblical Christian view, making them not Christians, but a completely different religion? Actually, I think that they would allow a Christian to stand at their pulpit and preach those things. They let um, Ravi Zacharias, and they also, prior to Ravi Zacharias, it's kind of interesting because it's kind of a PR move, I think, on their behalf, because letting Ravi Zacharias, a noted scholar in the Christian world, speak at the tabernacle, the, before that, it was D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody actually spoke in the tabernacle, too. And so those are two noted, towering intellectuals of Christendom that they did allow to speak and, and preach the way they were. You know, one thing that's interesting about the Mormons, before we get too far uh, in our prejudice, is Joseph Smith taught, we believe in allowing all men how to, wor to worship what, where, and what they may? How, where, and what they may. He was very big, just to be straight up, he was very big on people having the freedom to teach uh, whatever they felt was proper because he said if we don't allow that, then our freedom to preach what we think is proper will be stripped from us. So they don't have a problem with people getting up and preaching and teaching from their faith to them, and they'll be open about that. The problem is, is if you're a member you certainly will get in trouble going and preaching um, doctrines that are contrary to Mormon doctrine. And so guest speakers coming in and doing it, uh, they will allow uh, giving those two examples. And probably in sacraments if the, or at funerals or something like that, if they're having some kind of social event, if a pastor or a Christian gets up and preaches, they'll let them do it. Because really the, in the audience, the, audience, the LDS audience members who are scriptorians are thinking, they're giving us the basics of the gospel. They just haven't learned the more uh, important, uh, um, lofty ideas that we have. They're kind of in kindergarten. Let them go ahead and preach repentance, faith. Those are the basics of our gospel. 
but we know the higher things. And so that's how I think they typically view people who speak in their churches. Jared in Portland, Oregon. Jared, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, John, how are you? Good, how you doing? Good, hey, can you hear me okay? I can. Okay, cool. Hey, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, this might be a little off topic, but I wanted to ask you uh, your opinion on something regarding the uh, first presidency. Yeah. Um, I, I struggle with this. I'm still a member by, by record, but, you know, I don't, I don't believe in 90% of it, I would say. I'm trying, you know, born a Christian, trying to find Christ, walk with Christ and all that. Um, but something I've been curious about, I want your opinion. Do, do you believe, as far as the, the 12 apostles and the first presidency goes, um, and I can only think of two options here, but for me, it's, it's either A, they, they all believe in their minds that they are inspired and that they talk to, to Christ and they receive, you know, counsel. Or, or it's B, they're, they're all, they all know it's hogwash and they're just going along for the ride and seeing how long they can ride it out. Uh, so to me, it's kind of one of those. What, what would you say? Do you think they're all of a deviant mindset and they, they're just doing this for the... I guess the joy of it, or I mean, do you think they think they're inspired? You know, I don't think it's an all or nothing. I think that probably there are some who are uh, pretty devout in their beliefs, and uh, they believe the church is true. I think there's probably a portion of those who know it's not based off the history, but they actually believe that it's the best thing that's out there, and so they stick to it. And I'm basing these, these opinions off comments that I've gotten from other people. Uh, and I know Grant Palmer apparently met with some uh, LDS people who were called to be apostles and was informed that uh, the whole complexion of Mormonism changes once you get to that level, that the, the, uh, the curtain is pulled back and you see what it is, but you've been in so long, you've proved yourself so hard, you're given a substantial monetary reward, all of your expenses are cared for and taken care of, et cetera, et cetera, that you're too, you're too deep to ever pull back. I, right. I, I'm sure it's a combination of all of that. Okay, so you think Tom, Tom Monson probably thinks in his mind that, oh, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing the right thing even though I don't, I don't talk to God. Think that's a possibility? Yeah, I think, uh, I think old brother Monson probably is really deluded. Okay. I, I yeah, personally that's believe. Impression. And I, I wanted to share one more thing with you. I, I, uh, when I was coming out of it, this was only about six or seven months ago, and I was coming out of it, I had a lot of metaphysical, beautiful experiences. And there was a scripture that uh, is from Mormon sources. It's a DNC, I think it's section 10. I don't know the exact verse, but a guy named Rock Waterman uh, shared this. I don't know if you ever heard of Rock Waterman, but he's. I know, yeah, pretty, I know Rock. Yeah, he's pretty insightful up there in Sacramento. Uh, but uh, he shared something with me that blew my mind, and it made, it's what made me leave. It's, it's their own scripture. I believe it's uh, section 10, and it's, it's supposedly where Christ is speaking through Joseph Smith, defining what the church is. And it's a lot of kind of how mainstream Christianity defines it. I mean, Christ in that scripture says, you know, whosoever repents and comes, un comes unto me is of my church. And the very next verse it says, whoever defines this in any other way, they are not of my church. And... When I read that, I, I simply thought, well, wait a minute. Everyone I know in the Mormon church is defining this in other ways. So mm. I'm out. <laughs> so hey, that, that was it for me. That's amazing, yeah. isn't it, Jared? Because it was, it was his own early words. DNC 10 was early on. It was his own early Christian evangelical kind of views that came in. And, of course, they changed later. But it was one of those, one of those gems of truth that helped you see the light. Definitely, yeah. It was a beautiful experience. And it all boiled down to me to that. And, you know, I'm a truck driver, so I spent a lot of time talking to God. And I, I, I came down to that scripture and talking out loud, praying and saying, look, this is what I've been taught my whole life. Does it really boil down to temples and earning my way to your kingdom? And I need to know. And the answer I got was, was a very subtle yes. But then my very next question was, is your son enough? And that same feeling and yes I got I got again, but it was amplified by a hundred, a thousand. Just like the Holy Spirit came and sat in my body and said, you know what, if people want to do that to get close to me, they can, but is it required? Absolutely not. Wow. And so that was, that was it for me, and I, I just want to share. And I also want really quick wanted to bear my testimony that the man you see on, especially all the LDS listeners right now, 
The man you see on screen, uh, I used to not not like very much because I was once where you're at. And he, I look to him now as a personal teacher. Uh, I believe he's a true man of the Lord. He's really helped me find peace. Sean McCraney <laughs> is a wonderful man, and I, I testify that in the name of Christ. And I just wanted to share that in his name. And amen. Hey, Jared, thanks so much, my brother. I look forward to meeting you in person sometime. Absolutely, man. Hey, take care. Thanks for taking my call. Okay, bye. You know, I know Jared means well, and uh, his heart is there. Very kind of him to say those things, but I am really a very bad man. Uh, yes, I am. I'm a bad guy. I, in my flesh, you don't want to be my friend. And uh, it's just Jesus in me. If you see anything good, I'm not just saying this because we say it. Truly, if there's anything good in me, it's because Christ moved in by his Holy Spirit. Without Christ's Holy Spirit, you, I'm telling you, you would, nobody would ever say that if you knew me. So, but that is a really beautiful thing because he uses the weak things of the world, not the powerful, not the mighty. He does not use, where would his glory come from if he used the wealthy and the, and the uh, strong and, and all, where would his glory, where would he get it? But he comes into us broken people and he says, I'm going to make you better. And then when that happens, and it's him who's doing it, uh, he is glorified. And so all glory always to him. If you don't know Christ Jesus, if you can't say that he is the source of your salvation, take the challenge. We haven't given the challenge in a long time, and I feel bad about that. And the challenge is go to him. Go to God. Go to him. Go to her. And I mean, if you think she's a her, he's a her, whatever you think is God, go to them it and say, help me to know you. Let me know you. I don't want to believe McCraney. I don't want to believe this. I want to believe truth. I'm tired of the stuff and go to God and then do yourself a favor. If you want, I think it really helps. And that's open up the Bible, open up to John. It's a simple book. It tells a very beautiful story and just start reading. Don't start in Genesis. Just start reading John and just ask God, open my eyes, help me to see if you're real, because when he shows you that he's real and that he did send his son to die for you, you will radically change. He will move in and your eternities will be different. That's a, that's a promise I make, but test it. Try it out. We hope you have a good uh, new year. I guess it's this week and come join us next week as we wrap up proving material religion is over. It's done, and all the vestiges of it, that we are not serving brick and mortar. We are not serving men or women who claim authority. We are not serving tithes and budgets and building things. We are not uh, serving book sales. We are not serving men. We are serving God directly as individuals. You want to choose to get together to serve him? That's fine. That's, that's another thing. But the material church is done. Join us next week where we prove it. We'll see you then. I'm on the ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind. And I won't be man's awake